Welcome to Seek Justice, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the nuances of criminal justice. Good morning, Dennis. Well, good morning, Eric. How are you? Pretty good. You mentioned to me before the call that you'd like to talk about defense attorneys and what their role is in the criminal justice system and potentially in reducing incarceration, which is, seems to be our hobby horse. Well, so the, the what we talked about briefly last time is that when you consider from a political perspective, you had asked, what about electing, you know, the political leaders who are former defense attorneys or prosecutors or whatever, and the reaction was, well, prosecutors make better politicians and it's, you know, being tough on crime and smart on crime does require some history of being tough on crime and therefore whatever, but more practical operationally, what's defense attorney's role in, of, of creating the best plan to reduce prisoner return to prison is don't send them to prison in the first place if you can avoid it. And there's widespread knowledge of the overuse of imprisonment, both um, in length of stay, uh, which is a huge, huge problem, uh, it tr- being addressed, in fact, by the First Step Act, which which did reduce sentences. Uh, and, and very positive report. But anyway, the defense attorney's role, as is allowed, and the lack of education that they get when they're going through law school about that sentencing event. Huh. You know, and it's and it's tough not to have the education and not to have the training and also not to have the type of resources because if you're in a public defender system, then they're hiring uh, a, like an appointed system. They're hiring attorneys with money they have that rotate. So these are practicing attorneys that try to get clients on their own and they, they, get, they charge their clients for the doing defensive work. And then as part of that work they do in the community, they also have an income. It's not very much money. Right. And and the system is not known for its uh, due diligence in terms of uh, opportunities to, to prepare for the sentencing stage. It's all very, very fast paced. And so they uh, might be they might be experts in another part of the law, but maybe not particularly in, you know, the nuances of breaking and entering or whatever that well, the public it, uh, defenders office is assigning them to to handle or whatever. True, true. It's their, what they're expert in is how to work in the system to. Uh, essentially get a fair, decent plea bargain agreement uh, as all cases are decided and to do that as quickly as possible mm-hmm. with the least amount of time as possible because they're not getting paid very much and they're they're good on their feet and the, the legal part of the work, as you say, are they innocent or guilty? What are the nuances of this particular type of law, et cetera? That's the focal point rather than saying, hey, wait a minute, if not imprisonment, then what? So you know, in, the, in the process, when... Uh, say you're a defense attorney. Uh, once your client pleads, you don't, you don't. It, it's off, out of your hands. It's and then it's just whatever the judge decides to sentence. Well, they, or do they, you? Or can you argue to the judge saying, uh, "Look, we're pleading this, but you know, this was just the first time, and we request that you go lightly on on my well, client or whatever." Generally speaking, the, the the system gets to the point where they're entering a plea, and it's two seconds, and it's over, and you know that prepares you for the next step, which takes weeks, if not months. And so, oh, okay. in that, in, in the, then that's the preparation phase. And so, wait, the preparation phase, preparing for what? For sentencing. So the, the next, the next decision point was all right. You pleaded not guilty, right? And so we're going to have a hearing, and as a result of the hearing, then we'll have a sentencing. And the hearing is so: are you guilty or not guilty? And really, what that hearing is is. As you know, Judge, we pleaded not guilty. We have a plea bargain arrangement where the prosecutor has agreed to uh, an alternative sentencing plan, 
which includes right and and so that's what you get ready for okay, over, the, okay. over the course. And so you have, there's ill preparation in law school uh, or in actuality for the defense bar to gain those types of, of skills. So right. it's a competency issue to begin with, and it's a particular specialty area that you have to have a lot of knowledge and you have to have time to be able to do it. And if you, and you know, and frankly, most people working in the system need to be paid. Right. So not everything is free and pro bono. Um, but anyway, I referenced North Carolina. They did a design, a great design to address that. I'd like to talk about that. You're saying that they're unprepared for preparation. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Continue at North Carolina. Great. It's very early here. Um, <laughs> so um, That can be our episode the, title. The idea was, and I think it came out of um, oh, Eastern Shore, uh, North Carolina, in Fayetteville, uh, a remarkable woman by the name of Susie uh, Harbord. Uh, design this, I believe, is where it started. Uh, and you connected a defense attorney at that pause for that preparation with a professional community sentence uh, analyst who knows the resources and knows the tools and knows the people and can get pre-enrollments and enrollments and can, it has access to the clothing so the guy can show up dressed in a suit at the hearing as opposed to a T-shirt that says, I didn't do college. You know right. what I mean? Just not just all aspects of it so the defense attorney can hand off a client say yeah I mean this 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 kid 28 years old had been down twice um, he's got another charge here and it doesn't work for him to go to prison and when he gets back this is where he goes back to and, and so what do we have now wait is, I have a question yeah. are there good data on um, appearance and sentence uh, had the correlation oh, yeah. between appearance yeah. and sentencing that's yes. that's a no-brainer yeah. oh, I mean yeah. it, it it's it, it's intuitive but I was wondering if there's actual listen, listen I've told you right not only about that but if you're gonna get sentenced you want to get sentenced earlier in the morning right so that you're not getting sentenced by a hungry judge right right before lunch and and if, if you're after lunch do it quickly after lunch because there's just a couple of high times, so to speak, right? right? And, and and dress and appearance. So just picture this intuitively: is that you come into a hearing room dressed in orange and shackled, right? And you know, in a row, marched in together, or you show up with your public defender in in, in a suit, right? You know, and and you're ready to speak. You're prepared, and so the the defense attorney, the alternative sentencing specialist, and the defendant are all prepared then. With this, it was called the uh, marketing uh, considerations. It was called the community penalties program. Okay, meaning you know, obviously, it's tough on crime but smart on crime kind of kind of approach. And uh, it was remarkable. Uh, it was remarkable that it changed the outcomes of these cases. And in order for us to do the best job we possibly could. It's difficult, right, to know. Well, of everybody who's going to court, everybody who's convicted, has got in the docket. Which ones are going to go to prison? Yeah, you know, I mean, what's the difference between these five guys, right? And so there's data. You asked about uh, data. There's also data, rich data, that you can look at the very specific data elements, the characteristics of a group of people who are going through the court system and aggregate those who are more likely to be in prison rather than not. And it has to do with the same factors that you use to assess risk and need in the community. You use the same tool right. for these purposes. And you can say, well, like, for example, in in, uh, in Michigan, we had a, a program that reimbursed jails for uh, holding felons who otherwise would have gone to prison. So we created a formula that showed what set of characteristics made them 
uh, in a group that was 51% likely to be imprisoned. Just just better than a flip of the coin. Right. And that's how we pay now. But it's the same true on the front end with an alternative sentencing program. And one of the best predictors that you're going to get imprisonment is that you've already gotten imprisonment. Sure. And because there's so many people that get imprisonment, it's not like that's a small number. And so, uh, you know, and imagine if somebody's, you know, gone to prison twice or three times or whatever. And, and so the, here is, here is the, 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 the piece of this that I think you'll find intriguing is that in uh, Hickory, North Carolina, where the program uh, also expanded, we ended up with, I think, eight of these sites throughout North Carolina. But in, in Hickory, um, a woman named A.J. Katu uh, ran uh, that uh, program uh, that <clears throat> victims were interviewed if they were willing. And what they understood was that if there is an imprisonment, that there will be no restitution paid for years because the the prisoner will only make a penny a day or a nickel a week. But if they have a community program, we enroll them in an employment program and he will have a job and then he would pay you. And they're like, I want my money. So so restitution, um, just to define that, that's like a, a debt owed to the victims that yeah. the... So we're going to punish you by yeah. throwing you into debt. Uh, Dictated by the court right. as a as a, a, a suitable uh, reparation, a financial reparation. Right. And the other part of you know this alternative sensing approach is to recognize, as we've discussed so many times, the power of the community and the power of the people in the community who who in in, in pretty large measure want to be when they're involved in the justice system, they want to be involved in a way that's not frustrating and not maddening right. and, and has some sense to it and, and is more predictable. Uh-huh. Some and, logic. And so yeah. when you when you have a caseworker assigned to a, a, a defendant who's got the, the defense attorney and that person is a navigator through the community service agencies and the various funding streams and the things that you need and uh, and then the people that, that run those things, that guidance, right, becomes part of a relationship building moment, which is in itself extraordinarily rehabilitative because the defendant is creating a position of trust with an individual that is motivating him to become a better self. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is very, very, very powerful. And so these cases then continue when you finally get to the point of the victim. Who who in a courtroom is going to argue and say, well, 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 wait a minute, prosecutor, judge, whatever, you know, we don't support this. The prosecutor says we've got, he's been in, in prison twice already. This is his fifth violation. Uh, his officers here and testified that he's, he doesn't know what to do about this young man. Um, but of course, by then we'll have interviewed and and very participatory with the probation office uh-huh. and the people that will supervise the person say, so here's here's what we know about this person's risk level, his need level. We know where he'll likely be in your caseload because he's been in and out of prison. He's a higher uh, supervision level, meaning you're going to see him more frequently, meaning your relationship's going to be important. When you look at this alternative sensing plan, what do you think? And the, the guy would invariably say, well, if he does this, it'd be great. And then they would add the degree to which they have any faith that he would do it or not. 
and could say we've tried these things before with him and, and they haven't worked and you know this isn't a second chance this is a fourth chance and I either support it or I don't support it but it isn't about the plan itself it's about whether or not it's predictable that the, that the, the, the defendant would be engaged in a post sentence okay let's get back to defense attorneys what other problems do you see there in the in the system or is it should there like how how could we how could we, how could we make it better have people is it all about the in education in law school or could we have you know dedicated defense attorneys i don't know yeah it's it's a lot of things i mean certainly uh more education in law school and more practical uh, uh knowledge disbursement while in, in in law school you know actually getting into these programs and seeing what they're like would be very good but the 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 fact of the matter is is that there's not enough money for everybody to have a fully prepared lawyer. The public defender system have long waiting lists. Uh, the system is delayed, 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 and then it's hurry up and wait, and then and then and then it's a shotgun approach. We actually had a, a shotgun courtroom called that. That with the speed you would have your first introduction between a defense attorney and a, and a defendant prior to an initial hearing. And at that initial hearing was when you were, read your rights, and there was a question of your your uh, pre-hearing uh, status in jail, with bail, without bail, whatever. Uh-huh. Is there a probable cause that you should, you know, be in the system in the first place? It's called a probable cause hearing. And so, because there were so many defendants, we literally lined up eight of them in front of a judge with eight defense attorneys standing behind them, and the judge read them all the same legal stuff that he has to read to them about what they were about to do and what the law said. Right. And then when he said, do you understand? He went down the line like, do you understand? Ba-bump. Do you understand? Ba-bump. It was a ba-bump, ba-bump. Yeah. It was like yes, not honor. a shotgun, more of a machine gun, but a shotgun cord. And then they'd all walk out. And we moved the docket forward. Okay. And if any of those guys had been in jail waiting for the probable cause hearing because they'd been arrested, well, then they could go. You know, and there's less people in the jail. I mean, yeah. so the defense attorneys, right? This is their introduction. So if they're if they can be prepared right then and there, from that point forward, to say, listen, uh, you've been you you're you're in jail. They're not going to let you out because you've been down a couple of times or whatever. Sure. And while you're in jail, here's my colleague who's going to work with you to to get you ready. Well, the the role that that defense attorney plays there is that legal introductory role and connects that legal obligation and rules and regulations with something that's produced by a community person so it becomes part of the legal framework and that in itself is a is a is an enormous accomplishment in the in in the legal field because it provides you the detail behind the precedence of cases where let's say a, a prosecutor a judge said boom yeah you're going to get community sentence instead of this and it's appealed and then, the, you know, and then the appeal, the, the prosecutor says, well, you know, this judge overly relied on a risk need assessment instead of listening to the to the, you know, the, the, of course, we've got a victim's help. But let's say there were four victims and three of them didn't work with us. Right. Uh-huh. You know, didn't listen to the three victims that were, you know, crying for incarceration, et cetera. Um, and in the appeal, then it's fully documented. It, including all of these documents that are prepared in the community, it becomes part of case law. And it's really great and cool to see that things have transformed at least to that effect where case law now says, no, no, you can use scientifically based risk need assessment instruments to help guide, help guide nice. the sentencing decision and a defense attorney who's prepared to be able to understand this case law, right? And provide that to the judge. 
then bingo, it, it, it helps. And so the, 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 the final challenge, and I'll take a breath here, is that in order to have that, you've got to pay people. So the alternative right. uh, sentencing program in North Carolina, the community penalties program, received money from the, the two major foundations on there, Smith Reynolds Foundation, the Mary Reynolds Babcock Foundation, that were enormous supporters of <clears throat> justice reform, and they helped fund it. And then the state picked it up and <clears throat> kept data. And <clears throat> sorry, it was one of the states where, unlike most states, they um, did not have a mandatory pre-sentence workup by a, uh, someone who reported to the court. Where in, in, in Michigan, uh, uh, every person who's being sentenced to a potential term of confinement has a pretrial sentence report prepared by an employee of the state who works for the probation department. But in North Carolina, they didn't have such a thing. So you, you walk into a courtroom and it was time for sentencing, and the judge would say, Okay, what do we got? And the prosecutor looking through his files says, The guy's been down twice, been this and that, he's been not compliant five times, and the, the defense attorney's like, uh, yeah, what's your name again? Oh, uh, Jim. Uh, well, yeah, but you know, <laughs> yeah, but you know, you know, he's here, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll plead not guilty, and then and, and we'll see. And then he walks over to the to the prosecutor, and they're shuffling papers, they're ready to walk out the door. Right. And he says, "So what are you looking at here?" And the prosecutor says, uh, "You know, three months of confinement, uh, five years follow up, whatever. Bottom line." And and the guy says deal, or the guy says no deal, or he says all right, I'll take it to him, or whatever. But right. but it's it's got to be that quick because it's there's there's, there's no another fifty seven cases behind this. Wow. And this guy's got ten of them. The, the public defender's got ten of them. He's meeting these guys. He's got a briefcase this high stacked with all of their files and meeting them and trying to sort it through. If you got to get so many people through the system all the time, like it, it feels like you're at, you're like you're at the you're at the grocery store and there's only one uh, cashier, <laughs> open, right? Is there a way to like have hire another? You know, do some more parallel. Yeah. Uh, all right. So let me let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. So we're working in the Wayne County court system, Detroit. Very, 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 very busy system with an incredibly overcrowded jail and antiquated to the degree that they're under federal lawsuit for 24 years of running an unconstitutionally uh, crowded, unacceptably standard jail. 24 years. Okay. Okay. I mean, you know, and 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 so um, we did an analysis, a bit of a time study of so what's happening, you know, and we're the loggerhead and blah blah blah. They were letting out. Now imagine this: letting out of jail every month, every month. 500 felons, you know, arrested felons who were facing court time but were, were released, uh, many on tether, you know, ankle bracelets and right. whatnot, 500 a month. And so, this so is, you, when you say released from jail, you mean they were, they were arrested and then they get released waiting for their court date? Yes, okay. yes. When, and, 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 and so many of them were not released, they were held in jail that the judge said, well, because of your, your record, you're going to stay in jail before court. And because the jail was so crowded, of the group that were sent to jail because they weren't, for whatever set of reasons, usually economic, uh, whatever, right. that those were also released, emergency releases. But so the, the picture of all these people moving and all these bodies moving. So anyway, we did a little time study and, and I was following files as to where the files went, following the cases from one part of the courtroom to another, from one person to another. And, and I, I went into this room, and I swear to Almighty, 
I could not see the woman sitting behind the desk because her files were stacked up <laughs> three and four foot high. Right. And I literally had to sit in the chair and look around. Nice. And every, every flat surface in this office was covered, stacked with files. For, this one, I, for, for one or two people to, to process? Yeah. Copies and process because there's a stage of the system where the defense attorney and the prosecutor each have developed information for their file folder right. under what, and then under the, the rule of discovery, they have to share it with each other. And so the defense attorney gets the case. The prosecutors had the case. The defense attorney gets the case. This is, well, I'm going to have discovery. I need to see everything in the file. Well, that this is not electronic. These are paper files. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And so stacked everywhere. And I said, so I wonder if uh, this is the right place. And said, is this the place where things are, they have to move forward from here to make copies? This is what we did. We we bought three copy machines with federal dollars. And we hired three college uh, interns from the local uh, college and paid them to do nothing but run copies every day. We reduced that paper flow, which meant that the dockets were prepared. That's the one thing we did. And the defense attorneys, right, they were brought along with that. Right. But, but what they understand is they get a notification in the court docket, your case is up. That If that takes three months or two months or one month, they might make an inquiry. Right. You know, but it, it's... But they've it's, got so many open cases that they're not... Uh, they've got enough on their plate, right? So imagine, imagine the, 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 so you've got two different types of people. You've got people that the, the court says, well, you know what, you, you can be out before you come to court. We're not afraid you'll, you'll not appear. We're not a fearful of failure to appear, FTA, right? right? And so you're, you're out, and then there's a bunch that, that they say, well, we are concerned, so you're going to be in jail. So you have bailers and you have jailers, right? So when you're doing a court docket and everybody's ready for the case, and you got a bunch of jailers who are sitting all handcuffed, right? Right. They're looking for a hearing. And then you got all these defense attorneys sitting out there in the audience with their clients ready for the case. They got 37 cases, and some case gets long. And the next thing you know, they got to continue 15 of them. And the judge is looking at the docket. It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And he's like, look, I got, I got time for two more. I got to go, 3 o'clock or whatever. Yeah. Right? So who do they, who do they continue? The bailers or the jailers? If the bailers are already out, if it's the jailers, it's costing us 60 bucks a day. Right. See? So the defense attorney needs to be prepared to be able to say, we're, we're, you know, continue our case and we'll be back. It doesn't hurt him because the longer it takes to actually hear the case, the better the outcome for the defense. Usually. Yeah, statistically. Huh. Okay. The prosecutor wants it quicker. The defense attorney doesn't mind it going on. Witnesses. Good example, witnesses, you know, fade away or, or whatever. But uh, any right. rate, any rate, the defense attorney's role in all of that is to be able to, you've got to be able to not only handle, of course, the, the easy to, to figure legal stuff that you have to know about the cases, but you also have to know how that system works and your opportunities for making your moves and getting your best deal early on. And, and who, what prosecutor do you play uh, paddleball with? Right, sure. Which prosecutor are in the same ball team, which, you know, went to law school with them, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's how it works. I mean, you know, uh, so the, 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 the role is, is important. But then imagine on top of that, uh, you need to know what's going on in the community. It's, it's like, well, wait a minute. I'm not a social worker. I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm an attorney. Right. You know, I do this. You take that stuff and let me siphon that and connect that into the legal system so that it has legal standing. 
and has a, 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 a fully documented position in the literature, in the legal literature of this of, of, of this country, yeah. right? That these things make sense, and if they're appealed, and then appealed, depending on you know what what if the what if the case was a, a, a involved in a serious injury or even even a death, and the, the the person had been in and out of prison was 52 years old, and there had been a, a car wreck, and uh, he was involved in, in some prosecution of manslaughter and careless reckless, whatever yeah, yeah. you know, and and. You, you have to know the science. You have to be able to cite the literature. You have to be able to talk about the connection between age and risk level, you know. And, uh, you know, I was talking with a formerly incarcerated uh, person in uh, Connecticut last week, Daryl McGraw, and, and he said, look, he's like, I think, I don't know how old he is, maybe he's 42 or something like that. And he says, look, man, I can't do the stuff I used to do. I can't jump fences. I can't run. Look at me. Right. You know, and everybody laughed. You know, and it's just it's it's it's, it's the truth of what the data tells us. Is you know, you start to age out. You know, and so uh, if a defense attorney is not only schooled in the legal stuff which law school will provide, but can can be become experienced enough to be able to swim through the system, that third leg of that three legged stool to support the defense bar is probably more of a connection to people who are expert in the community stuff. And therefore, mm -hmm. becoming more expert over time, because if you're a defense attorney and you've got a five-page sentencing report, alternative sentencing report, that before you go into the courtroom, the, the, the analyst provides you a one-pager written in 14 font that says, key points, right. bullet, six words, bullet, six words. That's all the guy says. And he sees where, the, where there's interest in the judge and may go further, but... The idea when you get into the courtroom is to say, look, I don't want to take a lot of your time. We got this figured out. Here it is in summary. There's all the documents you need. Here's everyone's position. Let's make a decision. We got 37 cases behind us, and it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And and you gotta you got to know that. But when you imagine that the whole courtroom now is seeing a defense attorney out of a docket of 15 where one case or maybe two cases out of 15 have got an alternative sentencing person there and they have an alternative sentencing plan and they witness in the public courtroom that interaction and they hear the detail of that and those other defense attorneys and other clients and the the, the, <laughs> the clients are like, hey man, oh, where's mine? You know, I yeah. mean, I want one of those, uh -huh. you know. Wow. And, the judge, and the judge, of course, reacts favorably as a member of the community and, and probably depending on his or her experience on the bench, likely to be quite familiar with all the various programs that are there, and may say, for example, and I've heard this to say, oh, so you found a bed in the community residential program. I know that they, they're usually pretty full up. And the defense attorney would say, well, that's the benefit of having worked with this alternative sentencing uh -huh. uh, analyst because she made contact with them immediately after uh, the the first hearing, Your Honor. So we've had many weeks to work on this. You'll find us very well prepared in the following ways. Boom, boom, boom. Right. So we ask, you know, now and you got in the victim statement is there. And if it's a tough case, maybe the victim's there. So who's going to argue with the victim? Yeah, you know, you know. And so that and, and to see data wise, which is one of your uh, interests, of course, is that you're able to see over time the rate of which felons are sentenced to prison. And it can be granulated by, by type of crime, by number of prior sentences, right. uh, prior sentences, number of prior convictions, prior periods of incarceration. 
and you can show that you have an impact in a certain way because the numbers are going down, percentages going down, and then you can connect those to two types of financial benefits. One is the benefit of not spending the money on that person right. because it's $45,000 a year, certain custody level, typical average sentence of five years that calculates to this. And then the other benefit of it. So instead of that, this is the if this person works nine out of every 12 months for the next five years. Uh, he will create for the tax base this much money paying his own way, contribute. There's an economic incentive. There's studies. There's one you should post in the notes from uh, South Carolina. It's interesting because it talks about the financial gain from this type of effort in a broad way over time to show multi-million dollar impact on financial systems. So nice. it's one of the reasons, for example, as we spoke an episode or two ago about the Koch brothers, yep. right, and why they're particularly interested in this and it's all about the economics of it it's sucking up all the money right right right. it's sucking up all the money there's so, only so much money out there right i'm concerned it's mind-boggling to me how there can be so many cases for, 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 on a given day for for a given judge you're talking like 100 cases a day more or less at what point do we build a bigger courthouse and hire more judges? Well, uh, that's a great question. Is, that's is a that great a, question. Can you not? That's what we do. And so here's 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 another here's another angle of that. So before we consider that question, consider the question of so what are we doing in what are we doing with the laws in the first place? Right. You know, because at the end of the day, who's arrested and who's convicted and how they're treated in the system and what their exposure is to imprisonment is all driven by legislative decisions. That are, that are the basis of, of, of the law. And so if the laws, as they have been for forever, have been getting greater in number, exponentially more in number, and more and more punitive, and in some cases just crazily uh, punitive, right. right? That adds, that adds, that adds, that adds. And so what ends up happening is that in order to, before we can consider the question of do more judges and more courtrooms, well, Let's think about what happens before that, right. because though there's more laws and it's hard to keep, you know, do we need more police and how do those police operate? And know that every one of those points in the system, from how many police do we have on the force, where are we going to send them, how many patrol cars, who's ready for emergencies, who's further out driving further away from the precinct, et cetera, all that stuff. And then you create so many people who get arrested and the system can barely handle it and the jails are full of people sleeping on the floors because there's police and people are breaking the laws of the land and <clears throat> they get arrested. Yeah, and as a police officer, you don't want you don't want to, you know, have a month go by where you didn't get any arrests. Uh, well, it's well and, and and there's a lot of uh of 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 belief amongst the public that in, in case like in traffic situations that there's incentives to get 35 tickets uh, right. a day that is you know, because it's it's funding stuff. I mean, when you're in Ohio and you get pulled over uh, speeding, um, they'll, they've got a little uh, credit card thing there and you pay your wow. fine right there and there's no interstate uh, communication on speeding tickets so you just pay your money and you're done. It's like 250 bucks on the spot. It's like, I'm ready to take it and then you see ya, right. you're done. It's like, all right, yeah, hell yeah, I'll pay that money. Get me out of here. Right? Yeah. But anyway, that, you know, that, that, that sort of policy is going to lower your, your number of court dates, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. And all the paperwork is right. just taken care of. And so imagine that, that, that the system is not only these moving, uh, 
moving parts of the people that are engaged in the system, but more important to understand the system is the file work and the paperwork and the information that moves from one decision point to another decision point and whether or not that point A to point B to point C to point D, which finally gets to sentencing, that every one of those decision points are fueled with good information, good data, in a timely way, that system improvement, system mapping would look at those time frames. And when you know, as we've discovered, that from the point of arrest to the point of a hearing, there was a delay, but there was a huge delay from the point of hearing to, to the next hearing because of discovery and the backup of the files. Right. You reduce that from 57 to 13 days, and suddenly you've got 40-some days times 500 guys. That's how you calculate. Well, what is the savings here? Well, the savings are... 20,000 bed days. Right. <laughs> and what's a bed day cost? Well, it's 45 bucks. Well, what's the savings? Well, uh-huh. it's not a savings. It's a, it's a, it's a cost avoidance in a way, or a, not even that. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a cost reinvestment. Instead of spending that money on incarceration on that guy, right. you spend it on somebody else. And arguably, more so the guys that are dangerous that we should be afraid of because they're going to, they're going to hurt us. There's plenty of people need to be locked up for God's sakes. You know, and so it's not like, well, we save it, we can reinvest this. I think like a community penalties program can say, look, this is the, the savings of the system, uh, number one. And then number two, this is the, the benefits to the community. It's not like the, 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 the judge can say, wow, so you save the system $47,000, right. right? So uh, let's spend that on your program. Right. They say, well, there actually isn't any cash there. Right, it's just we're not spent. Right, right. It's cash so we didn't spend. Right. It's just it's it's we didn't spend it on this guy. It's not even cost avoidance. Well, we didn't save it because we didn't spend it. That's not it either. That's cost avoidance. It's well, we're still spending it, but we're not spending it on this guy. Huh. And so that that if that argument can be made data wise, that the people who are in fact going to prison are the more serious people. And we've talked about the implication of the system. Then, well, if the people are going to prison are more serious in increasing way then aren't prisons a little bit more dangerous? And if they're more dangerous, how does that affect staffing patterns? Yep. No, and imagine this, that the defense attorney's role continues throughout the system. Because as someone is imprisoned and they want to have an appeal for their case and they've got to become uh. legal experts, they connect with defense attorneys. There's pro bono defense attorneys all over the country that are working with prisoners, thousands and thousands of prisoners on appeals cases. And, and it continues. And if you've got a, a you know, the, the great defense attorney that's got some ability to track a case with a guy that he's in six years, seven years, you know, come up for a parole hearing, there's attorneys involved in that. Wow. All the way through. So there, there are these three areas, you know, of legal expertise, experience in the way the system operates, and then uh, c- community resource knowledge. Right. But more than knowledge, connection. Connection, right. Right. <clears throat> And this is a this is a good a, a, a good anti-poverty uh, approach as well because you know when you are suffering through the system and uh, are released your economic outlook isn't good no. and jobs and housing as we talked and talked is, is so difficult and so you find yourself in economic straits and that's a very poor starting point you know um, for for improvement over time and for success and so. If, if, if we can do a better job at understanding who, who are the people that are highly likely to go to prison, and let's do stuff different with them. Right. Right? And then somebody says, well, what about this guy over here? I mean, he's never been to prison, and, and we should keep him from going to prison. And, and, a, and a program has to say, well, that's not what we do. 
we only work with these guys and they have to have a risk score uh-huh. of X of likelihood of imprisonment and they don't qualify. I recommend you go here or go there or whatever, but sure. You, you can't know. take everybody. You got to focus on, and, 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 and you can actually then create a study that shows, well, you know, of the cases, the other thing is you may have of this, let's say a jurisdiction, you know, Wilmington, North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, whatever, has got thousands of these cases that are going to prison every year. Thousands. Well, wow. how many does an alternative sentencing person get access to? Maybe, you know, 10, Wow. You know, you know, 20, 30. And so which ones do you go with? Well, you know, which well, and part of it is, well, which defense attorneys know enough about it to want you in, in, in front of which judges? I mean, if you got a case and it's in front of Judge Young and Judge Young has never sentenced anybody to program because he didn't like it, you're looking for another judge or it's like, don't don't bother. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So you judge shop, you know, which is, you know, it's, you know. It's not allowed, but it's what you do as best you can. Right. With all these court delays and all this stuff, there's a lot of stuff you can do. So the defense attorneys have to know the people that are handling the court calendars and the secretaries, the administrative assistants, and all this paperwork. Computerized, a lot of paper, a lot of both, you know, a lot of duplication. It has to track. So all that <clears throat> knowledge of the system is what is, 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 is the real critical of it. So, I mean, if we have a, if we have a thousand cases and you know only one of these alternative sentencing consultants can can handle a dozen it seems like we just need a whole fleet of them right well so what happened in the state and the remarkable outcome uh which was in fact uh quite clearly articulated in the program was that you know we worked ourselves out of a job because the finally a law was passed that said look all these felons who are being sentenced potentially sentenced to prison have to have a pre-sentence investigation it needs to be paid for and done by the state nice and while that was never not to be confused with an alternative sentence although depending on the jurisdiction and particularly the rules regulations format expectations etc a pre-sentence investigation report should have a detailed set of recommendations for post-incarceration but what they do oftentimes which is another part of the problem and another reason dare i say it a defense attorney needs to be aware of this is that if that pre-sentence report says, "Look, I recommend a term of imprisonment," therefore, I don't, I don't have a recommendation for a community sentence. I think the guy should go to prison. Its guideline score is this, and most people that come, you know, I've, I've had the guy in my coastal three different times. He's failed every time, uh-huh. and 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 I don't, and you don't get the support. Then the alternative sentencing specialist, let's say it's a, a young, uh, young person, you know, young is going to be the case for the money they pay. And uh, very eager, and goes to a you know a grisly uh, prosecutor, you know, and starts to talk about the case and whatnot, and they're dismissed, and they go to the parole office, and the parole office is looking at this young person who wants to save the world and working with this guy that you think is a, a derelict, and you suspect that that person has done much worse than what they've actually done. You don't like the person very much, right? It's like you're going to get positive reactions, but then you bring the victim and you say, well, sorry you feel that way, but let's talk to the person who's the aggrieved. What, what would it take for you to feel that justice mm-hmm. is real? You've been here to seek justice. Yep. You're here to get justice. What would justice be? And the answer is, look, I want this kid to work. Yep. I've talked to him. He said he was sorry. I forgave him. That's that's another that's victim offender reconciliation. It's another part of it. And so when you in, in, inform the system with with the you're getting back to the basics of, of, of what 
what is justice in the first place? It's it's not just righting the wrong. It's trying to get back to the place you were before it happened. Right. How clo- How can we repair whatever the damage that's been done? Right. Victim standpoint, from the community standpoint, from the offender standpoint, and everybody has to talk about that. They have to. They have to be willing to, which cuts it way back. And then <laughs> then they have to be articulate enough to be able to describe it and the ones that decide to articulate that are in these victim statements uh in in our experience were so uh, very persuasive but so the community gets uh the benefits economic uh, benefits perhaps uh, if i'm a smart alternative sentencing specialist in the community i'm going to say to a a young man, look, uh, you got about a month before you go to sentencing. You're looking for work. You don't have a job. We're going to get you pre-enrolled in a couple of programs, but you still got some free time. So I want you to go down to the hospital and report to the emergency room there because they need somebody to help do a little bit of community service work. It's just two hours every Saturday, uh-huh. you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon, right? Two hours. And so then you report that, in, 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 right? And, in, and then you can get a statement from the person at the hospital. So look, this dude showed up every day. Yep. Every day he did as he was asked. You know, here's a picture of him with his boss smiling. <laughs> nice. Right. I mean, this is just, this is you know, everyone. So the, everyone is benefiting. Uh-huh. Everyone is benefiting. The judge is benefiting. The the everyone is benefiting. The prosecutor. Does the prosecutor feel that's the case? The prosecutor says, "We'll see." Right. We'll see. You know. And when you get a prosecutor who went to law school with the judge who helped create the program, right. and that prosecutor says, you know, I'm going to give this a chance, the top prosecutor says this, the prosecutors who are over the cases say, well, you know, let's give it a shot. And then you take the cases back to the prosecutor's office three months later and says, last month there were six of these guys. Let me tell you where they're all at. Two of them been arrested. The rest haven't been. This is what they've been doing, and they say, "Ah, ah okay, good to know, whatever, right?" And so it seems to me, and then, but you got to have the data, to, you know. You got to follow up and do all the do all the legwork. And so that's all the, uh, and, and so defense attorneys are woven through that, and and so when 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 you're in the in the community and you're promulgating uh, for reduction of mass incarceration and, and smarter uh, justice policies, and you're putting those into into practice through through your program, you really are uh, compelled and excited to be able to grab hold of the system at this at this point with, with defense attorneys who are philosophically, from the legal perspective, aligned with the very same mission. How do we protect public safety and guard the rights, the legal and the, the, the human rights of, of people going through the system? And what that means is we want the least punitive least costly, most effective right. responses. That's our vow to the court. And so there's this natural space that is shared, right? And so that is early on, that doesn't translate then to political strength, right? right? Unless, of course, you're appealing to liberals, trying to appeal to liberals, right? trying to appeal with, if you go and talk to the Social Workers Association because you're running for office as a defense attorney, you're going to get a great deal of support. Right, of course. For what it, for what it's worth. While the chiefs, while the, you know, the, the police association may say, ah, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you about a case he defended. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, who killed a kid. You know, I mean, it's, it's very tough. It's very tough. And that's what they... That's that it, it could get dirty, you know. <clears throat> all right, I think that's all we have time for today. Okay. I will talk to you again next week. See you then. Ciao.
Thank you for listening. If you like what you've just heard, you can support us by telling a friend or sharing us on social media. All of our episodes can be found on our website, seekjustice.fm. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be reached at seekjusticefm at gmail.com or via our Twitter account at seekjusticefm. See you next week.